Well, good morning, everybody. Today we continue our series on the Minor Prophets. This is really getting us to parts of the Bible that we don't ordinarily read, and glad you're here for this journey. Whether you're here with us in the sanctuary or worshiping online uh, with us somewhere else, glad, glad that you're here. I don't know if you've ever uh, purchased perfume, shopped for cologne or perfume, but you know how it goes. You pick up the first bottle. <laughs> Mm, I kind of kind of like that one. That's 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 pretty. And then you pick up, the, oh, that that's different. That one's different. And then you pick up the. And, and what happens after you sniff six bottles of perfume? They all smell the same. Or you can't smell anything at all. And the lady at the counter can't help you because she definitely can't smell anything at all. You and she are experiencing what's often called olfactory fatigue. Have you heard that phrase, olfactory fatigue? It's the common experience of losing sensitivity to odors due to prolonged exposure, olfactory fatigue. Right about now, in this sermon series and in our small groups, people are experiencing old prophets fatigue. We're six prophets in, and they're all starting to smell the same. And we've lost the distinguishing nuances between them, uh, and they all smell like judgment. There's a recurring theme in the prophets, you've sinned, God's mad, repent or else. You've sinned, God's mad, repent or else. And that can get kind of old after a while. Uh, imagine if we parented this way. If our kids only heard from us messages of impending doom. You've sinned, dad's mad, repent or else. Now part of that is just good parenting. But we don't want that to be the only thing our kids hear. And it's like the prophets understood this as well because almost every time uh, the prophet's message of doom turns around at the end to be a message of blessing and hope. Uh, I want to show you some examples from prophets we have previously studied. The prophet Amos. We looked at his uh, writings a few weeks ago. And this is the final line from the prophet Amos. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land they have given them, says the Lord your God. And Micah ends this way. This is the final line from the prophet Micah. God, you will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledge an oath on our ancestors in days long ago. These are words of promise and blessing and hope. In almost every case in the prophet, the final word is not judgment. It is hope. It is grace. And this is true in the final word of the entire Bible. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but the last line in the last chapter of the last book of the last testament, the book of Revelation, is this one, Revelation 22.1, the final word of the Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus uh, be with God's people, amen. Isn't that great? There's a lot of judgment in Revelation but the final word is not judgment, it is grace. And the prophet Jeremiah is no different. The, word, uh, the prophet uh, Zephaniah, Zephaniah his, his words are some of the harshest, some of the darkest language we've seen in all the uh, prophets. But like with the other prophets, we'll see in this, in this dark backdrop, we see God's grace shines through brilliantly. Who was Zephaniah? Zephaniah is the prophet of the day, Zephaniah. He tells us in the opening line of his book by giving us his genealogy. 
This is how uh, Zephaniah opens. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of uh, Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. It's a lot to fit on a business card. (laughs) And kind of unusual for a prophet to start with their lineage, and very unusual to go this many generations back. There must be a reason why he includes that. And most scholars think there's a particular name he wants us to see, and that name is likely this one, Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, that this prophet has a royal lineage. Now, this could be a different Hezekiah. We don't know for sure this is the king, but most scholars think we're talking about King Hezekiah, which would, which, which make, would make Zephaniah the only prophet from a royal lineage. It means probably he even lived in or near the palace and had access to the king. Now, he served, he says, during the reign of another king, King Josiah, Uh, Remember, King Hezekiah was a good king, followed by his son, a bad king, followed by his son, a temporary king, and now King Josiah, who we'll learn is going to be a good king. King Josiah was crowned king when he was just eight years old. You think that might go to an eight-year-old's head? Here's an Xbox and an entire kingdom. Happy birthday, buddy. Now, again, we'll, we'll learn uh, he's inherited a lot here after the evil reign, 55-year reign of his grandfather. When his grandfather passed away, he became the king, and he's going to bring the nation back. Uh, we learn a little bit about Josiah in the book of Chronicles in the Old Testament, and this is just a snapshot. In the eighth year of his reign, okay, now he was, he was eight years old when he became king, so the eighth year of his reign, he's how old? Okay, good to just make sure you're paying attention. 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David at 16 years old. In his 12th year, he's how old? 20, he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles and idols. All these uh, uh, practice of idol worship, he begins to take them down to, 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 to shed the nation of these awful practices. When young people seek the Lord, God can use them to change a nation. It was true then, it's true now. God works in and through 16-year-old people. Can I get an amen? Amen. God does that today. Now, we don't know exactly when during Josiah's reign that Zephaniah served. Did Zephaniah serve before these reforms? Did he serve after these reforms? Did prophet Zephaniah help uh, usher in these reforms? We do not know. We do know that Judah was in bad shape after 55 years of an evil king. And we know that these reforms of Josiah uh, worked for a while, but the people kind of went back to their old idolatrous ways. Perhaps it was too little, too late. The words of the prophet are frightening. This is what Zephaniah says. God says through the prophet, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. 
when I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Now this, this is uh, catastrophic. This is terrible. Some of the harshest uh, prophecies in all of Scripture right here. God sounds like he's going to wipe out everything. Th th this sounds more like God speaking to Noah before the flood. Everything's going to be wiped out, it sounded like he said, including the, the, the birds of the air. That doesn't seem fair. What did, the, what did the birds of the air do? And the fish are going to be wiped out. The fish survived the flood of Noah, but now the fish are like, oh, now's our time. We're going to get it right, right here. What, 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 what's going on here? Now, biblical prophecy is hard for us to read for multiple reasons. Uh, many biblical prophecies were fulfilled in history not long after they were written, some Bible prophecy is to be fulfilled in the future, and many are both. That is, fulfilled in one way now, and a foreshadowing of things that are still to come. And this particular one is confusing. If it's a prophecy, as it seems to be, about the destruction of Judah by Babylon, well, it wasn't completely fulfilled because mankind wasn't destroyed, and the birds and the fish are still around. So could it be a future uh, prophecy. Well, that, that would be terrifying. Uh, most scholars think what's going on here is the prophet is making linguistic use of hyperbole. Hyperbole, when you exaggerate and go big to make a point, because hyperbole, hyperbole was a very common tool for not only the prophets, but for all writers of this area, era, all poets of this era. And we know it's hyperbole too, because at one point the prophet says, humans will live among the rubble. So how could they be utterly destroyed and live among the rubble? He's using hyperbole to say this is a big deal. This is going to be really, really bad. Zephaniah opens by saying God's going to clean house. And some people might be tempted to say it is about time. Because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And God should bring his judgment. But the very next line he says this. I will stretch out my hand against Judah. Oh, that's, that's us. The people he's talking to. Oh, we're, we're Judah. And against all who live in Jerusalem. Oh, I live in Jerusalem. Right? We, people like God's judgment for other people. But God in his prophets starts with his own people. The prophets are speaking to God's people. The prophets are speaking to us. What is it that made God so mad? Well, uh, Zephaniah explains these kind of three groups of people. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. The very names of the idolatrous priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host. Um, let's, let's stop there for a minute. So first, there's, there's Baal worship going on. You've likely heard of Baal or Baal. Uh, really bad God. Often had uh, sexual practices of purification right as part of their worship. And uh, some people were worshiping uh, Baal. Now, I don't think we've got, probably got any Baal worshipers among us today. Uh, you might feel clean on this particular account. Although some scholars say that the really Baal worship in our day would be uh, making an idol out of sex and money. That that was at the core of Baal worship. 
People think too much, price too highly, make as an idol sex and money. And now we might think that maybe some of us have logged some time in this first category, the Baal worshipers. Then he, then he goes to a second category of people, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Molech. Molech was another false god, even worse than Baal. And, uh, but the problem in, this third, in the second category, let's go back to that. The problem in the second category, these people swear by the Lord and by this false god. They worship God and they practice idolatry. They practice some parts of the Bible and they take in these other things in their culture. They're mixing and matching. They're blending together. That's the second category of people that God is upset about. Uh, the people who blend together uh, God's word and the, the, the uh, cultural idolatry. Um, next line. Third category of people. This is the most frightening of all. It's not people who worship false gods or seek false gods. It's those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. They're not pursuing other gods. They're not pursuing anybody. They're not pursuing God at all. And I think every one of us here falls into one of these three categories or minimally have logged some time in one of these three categories of people. The prophets speak to God's people. So Zephaniah projects these major changes and he uses a term that we have seen before in the prophets, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He uses this phrase 25 times in his writing and it means God won't stand and tolerate the junk of this world forever. He will set things right. Zephaniah says it this way, the day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Now again, whenever you read prophecy, that day of the Lord is used multiple ways. Day of the Lord could mean the day of reckoning when God allowed an invading nation to attack his people. That's the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord could refer to this future day where every single one of us one day will stand before a just and holy God and give an account of our life. Of our life. That's the day of the Lord. Biblical prophecy has a past and a future. But God also has a purpose. Three times in the book of Zephaniah, he refers to a remnant. God was cleaning his house, but a faithful remnant would rise to the surface. And Zephaniah calls on this remnant to seek the Lord and suggested that somehow God would shelter them in the storm. This is the way it reads from Zephaniah. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Things are messed up, but those of you that are humble in this place, you who do what he commands, listen up, you, seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. I think it's interesting that Zephaniah's name means hides. He who hides. And here he's suggesting that, that that God will hide some people, will shelter some people on the day of the Lord. Uh, perhaps, because we're not to presume upon God's grace, but we know that what lies behind this perhaps is a gracious God who longs to shelter us. Zephaniah's promise, uh, prophecy ends with a promise of restoration. It does turn here now to the good. Judgment will not have the last word for us. Chapter 3 describes this beautiful future for those who stand firm, for those who remain. Like a lot of biblical prophecy, this section of Zephaniah has at least three fulfillments. 
There was the historical one when God's people returned from exile after 70 years and rebuilt the temple, started to rebuild their land. Secondly, it's being fulfilled in our day in us as God is building his church. And it will be fulfilled ultimately when Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new. So let's read about this final uh, area, what the future will look like when God uh, purifies all. Some of this we heard read earlier. God says, then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, Jerusalem uh, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me. Because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. Yeah, this is a beautiful picture of the future. This, this, this fire of judgment is also a fire of purification. God is purifying his people. The proud, the haughty, the arrogant will be gone. The meek and humble will be left. God himself will purify their, their lips. There'll be no more lies, no more deceitful tongues. And notice they'll come from far away. They'll, they'll come from, from the land of Cush, it says, which is Ethiopia. And it's interesting that Zephaniah's father's name was Cushy. He probably was a Cushite. This could have been very personal for Zephaniah to picture people from all over the world coming together, Jew and Gentile uh, coming together to worship the Lord, every tribe, every tongue, men and women standing shoulder to shoulder. It's a beautiful picture of what God is doing in our world. And then uh, the beautiful picture continues. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. God will take great delight in you. Have you ever thought about God delighting in you? Let me ask you as a question. Uh, do you think God likes you? I didn't ask if you think God loves you, because you all know the spiritually correct answer is yes, yes, God loves us. But when God thinks about you, what does God think? Is he disappointed? Angry? Maybe your parents looked at you with undelight? Maybe you were abused or neglected or ignored and you've transferred all that to God and you wonder if God thinks about you at all. But the scripture says God delights in you. God sings and what makes God, God sing? You do. You do. That, this is the most stunning part of it all. Not only does God delight over us, he rejoices over us with singing. 
All over the Bible, we're told to sing to God. That makes sense, right? We, we gather for worship. We sing to the Lord, right? That's, that's our job to sing. But here it says that God sings over you. It's almost hard, hard to believe. It's my job to wake up our kids in the morning for school, has been since the very beginning. And I wake them up by coming into their room and singing to them. Yeah. Sounds sweet, but it's obnoxious. The key is to come in especially happy and loud. And uh, I bound into the room, and so, sometimes I'm singing 1980s rock and roll. Sometimes it's songs we sing in church, worship songs. Usually it's songs I, I've made up or I'm making up uh, on the fly. And, uh, and one, one that's become kind of a family favorite, no one will admit it. I bound to the room, and I say, wake up in the morning. It's time to wake up, start a day. Yeah, it's time to wake up in the morning. Wake up and start our day. Everybody sing. Your line is, wake up. Yeah. And when I, when I, when I did it to my 16-year-old daughter, I bound in, everybody sing. And the first time I she was like, uh, in the morning, we got to uh, start a day. Yeah, we're going to, um, in the morning, wake up, everybody sing, wake up. And uh, yeah, it's, it's obnoxious. <laughs> but sometimes when we're not in a rush, I'll go into the room and I sing softly enough as to not to wake her. And I sing a song that I've sung over her, uh, a silly little song, right, that I've sung since she was little. I'll just say real softly, uh, I'll say, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. I have sung that uh, over her, not, 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 not every day, but almost every day since she was born. I know you thought I'd be better at it than by, by now. <laughs> God has sung over you every day since the day you were born. God sang over you the first day you went to school. God sang over you when you were, when you were bullied. God sang over you when you were tired and wanted to walk away from him. God sings over you now. When you're sad, when you're doubting, when you fall into sin, when you're serving him, God has a lullaby for you. God's got a long history. A long history of singing over you. And then the final section of Zephaniah, the good news just continues. God says, I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the, all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before their very eyes, says the Lord. It's not a reversal because we honor God. We praise God. That's the right order of things. We give to God praise and honor. But God says to my children who have been shamed, to my children who have been scattered, I will give them honor. I will give them praise. I will restore them. And the greatest honor of all 
is that God will gather us and bring us home. This is what Zephaniah prophesies. Jesus said, when he comes again, a loud trumpet blast will go forth, and he will gather his people from the four winds. Elsewhere, Jesus said, when I will go and make a, a, prepare a home for you, and then I will come and bring you so you can be where I am. This is the last word. Not judgment, but grace and home. And it's right here in the Minor Prophets. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the prophets of old through whom you spoke then and through whom you speak right now. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to heed your warnings. Help us to rest in your delight. This we pray in the mighty name of our God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.